Sam Slater from Fun Calibre, and today I've been joined by John Paul Templey, who's Deputy Manager on the AXA Framlington Japan Fund. Hi, John Paul. Hi, Sam. Nice to have you uh, on the call with me. You're very welcome. Um, the big investment topic at the moment is inflation because it's hit 5% in the US, it's creeping up here in the UK. But actually, Japan's had the opposite problem for quite a few years now. It's been in a deflationary environment. So presumably for your asset class, a bit of inflation's got to be a good thing. Is that correct? And are you actually seeing inflation come through in Japan? Uh, yeah, the most recent numbers actually are for some very, very modest um, CPI inflation. Um, so over the uh, preceding 12 months, we're seeing um, just something north of 0.1%. Um, as, as you mentioned, Japan has been in a structural um, sort of modest deflationary phase over the last um, 10 to 15 years. And excluding, if you like, the, the COVID year-over-year impact, um, that situation is continuing. Um, but that, that isn't, to us at least, uh, and I don't think the market either, um, a particularly either a big surprise or something that is, is altering our stock selection in any particular way. So would you expect the inflation to tick up anymore? Is it still a fundamental problem in Japan then? Um, yeah, well, if you think in terms of just um, demographics, simply put, um, the Japanese population has peaked um, and the um, the size of the the absolute size of the workforce workforce has also peaked. So on those um, basis alone, um, you could say that um, the uh, demand led inflation in Japan is is uh, to some extent you know structurally challenged. However, um, countering that and what something that, that is interesting us uh, and I think is is quite an important topic for um, listeners on the podcast today. Um, so, for example, uh, under the, the leadership of uh, Prime Minister Abe and um, more recently picked up by his successor, um, Prime Minister Suga, there's a, uh, you know, a long-term um, emphasis um, being put on bringing women back into the workforce. Um, and that will certainly be helpful in terms of um, bringing some, some greater inflationary effects back into the economy. Japan has definitely lagged behind the West um, in terms of providing childcare, for example, and that's that's been a, a barrier, if you like, to women coming back to the workforce after having a family. So Japan, Japanese companies, um, led by government policy, um, and also I think increasingly a sense of, of a, a societal duty that they want to perform, um, are um, you know doing things like providing um, nursery care, kindergarten care facilities, even within their own. Um, companies so that women can both rejoin the wor workforce but also um, do so with the comfort of being able to look after their their families when they come back. So you've just mentioned the the, the transition of Prime Minister last year from Abe to Suga. Um, Suga is actually following all of Arbe's, uh, they called it Arbonomics, didn't they? So the changes that he wanted to make to corporate Japan, Suga is actually continuing all of that, is he? There's no changes? Uh, correct. Um, essentially, he, he's just picked up the baton um, of, of what Prime Minister Abe had put in place. So in terms of um, corporate governance reform, that was a big one. Um, 
and 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 in fact, I, I would say arguably he's bring brought also brought to the party um, something that we, that's definitely another area where Japan has lagged behind uh, the, the the developed world. So he's brought into place policies surrounding digital transformation, and obviously that's that's been a a big theme globally um, over the last few years. But it's something that um, you know Japan has probably been um you know behind the curve let's say so in so in fact suga has come in um and already very early doors initiated a, um, a policy um to to bring um digital transformation at the forefront of um corporates minds and force that through so uh, it, it's it's still not not uncommon um in small japanese sort of uh, family-run businesses for um you know, day-to-day admin to be done using fax machines, um, people signing off with with um, old-fashioned ink stamps, which is what Japanese people historically have used instead of a signature, um, and and you know j- even just things like that. You know, getting rid of fax machines, you know, getting the internet um, connections, um, you know, up and running and and uh, Wi-Fi and so on. That that kind of stuff. It sounds simple, but it's stuff that Japan. Certainly, at the smaller end of the the corporate scale, hasn't really you know embraced fully, but that's that's changing. And um, I had a quick look back at the stock market performance since Arbonomics actually began, which is just shy of ten years ago. And while everyone's sort of been looking at the U.S. stock market and how that's led the world, actually, in in local currency terms, the Japanese stock market, the Nikkei, has actually kept up with the S and P five hundred right up until March this year. So I had a couple of questions around this. The first being, what happened in March to stall performance? Uh, before I answer that, um, I'll, I'll definitely concur that you know Japan's had a what I would call a kind of stealth move. Um, so yes, the US obviously has gained all the headlines um, with the the um, you know the big moves in in the some of the the fa- our favourite fangs and tech stock names. But actually, as you say, the Japanese market, admittedly off a low base. Um, has performed, you know, remarkably well. Um, we're not surprised by that um, because, uh, you know, valuations were incredibly attractive um, back at the dawning of, of Abenomics. Um, and indeed, you know, as we, we've just touched on, um, Prime Minister Abe and, and we think now also subsequently um, Suga um, are doing a lot of good things in Japan and, and uh, changing things for the better. Um, but you are correct. Uh, we, we cannot deny that in the short term, the market has somewhat stalled. I think um, that's easily explained. I'm, I'm not going to sort of be flippant about it. Um, Japan, I think, had an early, uh, Japan's early experience of COVID was probably better than ours in the sense that it didn't, COVID infections didn't really take off March, April last year. And I think because of that, um, I think the the government was slightly complacent about ordering vaccines. The knock-on effect this year was that Japan has definitely um, been slower than the UK and even Europe in terms of the vaccine rollout. And I think that's definitely had an impact on sentiment um, in Japan. Um, And that, I think, alone has been a a kind of reason why sentiment-wise the market um, had a a kind of somewhat um, slower relative performance year to date. Um, however, if you look back over a 12-month period, if you include the second half of last year, Japan's still basically neck and neck performance-wise with um, the US and uh, and Europe. 
So I think it's just a question of timing. And actually, we, we are um, looking at the other way around, you know, it, looking ahead. We're, we're very um, positive on the market. We see corporate profit um, coming through. Um, we think projections are quite conservative. We think valuations are supportive. Um, so while we don't think Japan necessarily is, you know, a million times better than, than other markets, however, we're definitely very comfortable um, holding on and, and, and you know, topping up Japan maybe after a period of relative um, modest performance um, into the second half of the year. And you mentioned there that the S&P 500 was driven in a large part by the big FANG stocks, the big technology stocks. Um, Japan sort of it's known for its technology, but it tends to be more in the parts area rather than the sexy internet type companies. Um, are there opportunities there? And can you perhaps talk to us a bit more around sort of automation, robotics and AI, which are sort of these themes that are emerging that Japan seems to be quite well placed to respond there? Yeah, I, I love I love the way you use the phrase um, the sexy internet um, space. It's actually if you look at the profit margins um, that uh, Japanese companies earn in terms of making hardware that goes into semiconductor chips or um, high level functional high function materials that go into the the technology space, they're earning often. Um, because of the, the fact that they, they have global number one or very high 40, 50% market shares in many cases, they're earning 30 to 40% operating margins. Companies that are just, let's say, dare I say it, um, in the internet service area of the economy, and uh, you know, I don't need to name names in, in the, you know, the, we know the, the names in the US, you know, they're earning margins, which are probably half of that. So yes, they've had fantastic growth. And, you know, I'm not going to, sit here and argue that that growth can't you know continue but you know equally arguably some of the the kind of high level growth that we've seen um through the last uh, sort of 10 15 years of digital transformation um and and the improvement in that we've seen you know maybe that the rates of growth will slow down and conversely um the areas where japan's um you know um excels in the world in terms of you know hardware um, and manufacturing um, in, you know, the high technology space, you know, that is actually going to see structurally very strong demand. So, you know, whether it's uh, semiconductor production equipment or high level functional chemicals, um, also in, in, in onto the space in terms of, um, you know, next generation pharmaceuticals and biotechnology, Japan in many areas leads the world in terms of, um, uh, intellectual property rights, uh, and you know that's very obviously an area that you know we think Japan is not just keeping up, but actually leading the world. Japan's obviously had a very successful car industry as well. So, what's going on there in terms of electric vehicles? I'm assuming that's quite a good opportunity too. I think that I'll I'll say uh, this is this is a very interesting juncture. And I think Japan is 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 definitely along with um, you know the, the the I'd say the German car industry. You know, Japan is, has a very strong position in terms of being some of the most efficient uh, producers of conventional internal combustion engines. However, I think you know clearly there's going to be this this shift um, to EV, which is you know beginning right now, and and you know inevitably going to you know take take a, 
a leap forward in the, in the coming decade. One thing I think we, we would say is in Toyota, Japan has um, arguably the most profitable and strongest um, automotive conglomerate in the world. Uh, and in fact, Toyota, uh, they, they, they have a fingers in, fingers in a lot of pies uh, and also in the supply chain as well. So they are, I think, by dint purely of being extremely profitable and crucially, um, that they have already in the last two decades transitioned very successfully from um, traditional combustion engine to um, being very profitable in hybrid um, production. Um, so they, we think they have already a, a strong lead um, in the uh, automotive space. And I think it's important to differentiate between the automotive market in, let's say, Europe and the UK and compare that with the US uh, and, and Asia and developing markets. So you're right that regulationary, regulation means that in the UK and Europe, um, EV is going to become, you know, we think the kind of de facto standard by 2030. However, the, the rate of change is significantly different in places like the US, where excluding California, um, we think, you know, there's still very much going to be a, um, a place for combustion engines and probably as, as, a, as a kind of halfway house hybrid. And, and then if you move to the, the developing world, Southeast Asia, Africa, South America, um, there just isn't the provision or the or the economic ability to provide enough EV infrastructure. So in in those areas, hybrid definitely has a very very strong future. And for that reason, we we think Toyota um, is going to be you know very much the the market leader not just now but in the future. That's really interesting. Thank you very much. No, my pleasure. And if you'd like to find out more about Axa Farmington Japan, please visit farmcaliber.com and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Please remember we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or to sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of your listening. <laughs>